the rise and fall of an empire. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Mike Kermode here with Darren Prasad, and welcome to another episode of Canucks Mafia. up everyone canucks mafia episode 45 darren prasad with me here how you doing brother i'm good i'm good man we haven't uh we haven't chatted since uh free agency day and well that's not true we haven't done a podcast uh since then but uh we've we've definitely uh expressed ourselves uh on on twitter so so there's i'm sure we'll get into a whole bunch of that here as uh, as we go yeah, of course, man. Well, yeah, so you know, quite a bit to to get to here. Um, obviously, I think the the biggest news, uh, at least of moves that have happened, is the Ilya Mikheyev signing. Um, so you know, four years, four point seven five mil uh, for a twenty seven year old, twenty eight this year. Coming off of a career year, right? He had uh, 21 goals, 32 points in 53 games. Uh, previous high before that was uh, 23 points. So, you know, there's definitely some risk involved in this in this signing. Uh, you're kind of banking on a guy coming off a career year to, to continue to produce um, as he did last year and not as, as he has throughout his career tenure in the NHL basically. So, uh yeah, I guess just quickly, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on the signing? Yeah, I I like the player. Um, you know, I think that he's going to add a uh, I I think what he brings um the Canucks need. Um, you know, like if you look at speed, uh the ability to get up ice and and apply pressure to, you know, your opposition's um defenseman and create turnovers and I think, you know, in terms of what he can bring to the penalty kill. Um, I, I think all of that is great, but I mean, I, I think it's hard to evaluate the signing because it kind of leaves me wanting or expecting other things to happen, right? Before I can fully judge it. Like I, I've, I've no issue with the player. I, I actually think that like in terms of his age, I think he's 27. It's a four year deal. Um, to be honest, like free agency, like typical 90% of typical free agencies, UFA signings, it's probably a year too much and probably like 700 or 800 K too much. But honestly, like in the context of what UFA day is, that kind of goes with the territory. And that's kind of why it's hard to, it's hard to build or add a lot of pieces through free agency because it just gets way too expensive, you know, but yeah, I, I like the player, but I really think it just depends on, you know, what else happens, right? Like, you know, we talk, we'll talk about the defense later, but I think that um, it really kind of puts you in a situation where the mandate from the organization was to clear cap space um, and they've added a bunch. Um, now, personally, my view on it is that, you know, the, the long off season, is it challenging to shell out or move out money? Uh, you know, absolutely. Um, but at the end of the day, they they stated they wanted to move out money and, and they've now brought in about six million. So that's the thing for me is I have to see what else happens before I can say like, yeah, the McKay of signing made a bunch of sense. And I kind of get it because, you know, they moved, they were able to move a little bit out here or out there or whatever. But if it's just the McKay of signing and nothing else really happens, then it's a little bit di- more difficult for me to swallow. That's a big one for me is like you you look at the roster as it stands right now after the McCabe and the Lazar uh, signings. You got a team with a totally fine forward group, right? Uh, maybe even a good forward group. But that wasn't really the area that needed to be fixed. Like if you remove Lazar and you remove McCabe, you still have a reasonably good forward group. And you would look at the whole roster, the roster as a whole 
and identify that the defense is needs what is what needs upgrading. So yes, they two areas in which the Canucks do struggle at as a forward group. One is speed. Mikheyev brings a, like he's one of the faster guys in the NHL. So that's great. Um, and they had just a poor, poor, poor penalty kill last year too. Mikheyev is known to be one of, you know, a, a really good penalty killer. Um, so in that sense, it does make sense. You're right in, in, in the aspect that now we just kind of have this glut of, top nine forwards and you look at the roster and you're like, okay, so I guess Pearson who makes three point, what is it? 3.75 is going to be a fourth liner. Nils Hoaglander, who you kind of want to see more offense from, and you want to see what he can do in his third full season. He's going to be a fourth liner. Um, it definitely would appear as that's a roster that needs to make some changes. And those changes would be trading a strong winger a la Miller or Garland or something for some defensive help. Because then that all of a sudden now you've got guys moved up into the lineup um, in proper areas. Now, if you're a contending team, a Stanley Cup contender, you want to have a fourth line of guys who could be third liners, right? That's mm-hmm. not that's not the issue, and that's not exactly what we're saying here either. We're just saying that when you look at – put it this way. So what are the things that since day one, Rutherford has said publicly, right? And got the fan base really excited about one. We want to add picks Two, we want to get younger three. We need to shed some salary and acquire salary cap. And four is to improve the defense. Any of those happen? No, none. None of those things have happened. In fact, they got older by signing two 27-28 year olds, they used up all the remaining cap space on forwards. The defense is literally the same, except for Brad Hunt is gone and Jack Rathlin's probably going to come up from from Abbotsford. And they didn't add a single draft pick. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think I've I've been a proponent of you know you're going to be judged on what you say, right? And I think the all of that is correct. I think one of the things that sticks out to me is that I do like how Rutherford owned the fact that, Hey, look, we haven't, we're not happy that we haven't been able to move out cap space. Like we're not, we weren't able to move out as much cap space uh, or sorry, move out as much money um, as we want to, like, as we wanted to. So I don't think it's from a lack of trying to move it out. I think that. But why, why um, can other teams around the league do it all the time? Well, I think I, I think it just comes down to like my perspective is it comes down to other teams know the situation the Canucks are in, right? And at the end of the day, there are going to be no other teams lining up to do the Canucks any favors. And I guess I guess the situation the Canucks have found themselves in is that it it, it I think they miscalculated and misjudged on how difficult it was going to be to to move money out. And I think that that's something they have to own. Um, you know, wh- what I've been saying this entire offseason is that um, I need to see how the entire offseason plays out and I need to evaluate the roster when training camp opens in order to properly judge this this group for the for for a for a full year because at the end of the day people throw out the ter- the the time frame 8 months but realistically the first 3 months of Jim Rutherford being on the job was literally hiring a front office. Like there was it was hiring a front office. It was evaluating the organization from top to bottom. It was understanding the players they have and players they need and blah, 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 all that, right? So what we're realistically talking about is like a five to six month time frame where they've been on the job. I agree with you. They haven't been able to get done what they said they wanted to do. Um, I think I'm willing to give them, um, you know, just just a longer runway to see see what happens. Now, look if training camp comes around and they're going to run it back with the exact same defense. um, And if JT Miller's still here and like, you know, that stuff is, and they haven't moved out any cap space, if they still have this glut of forwards, I'll be right there with you. I can guarantee you that um, because that to me, um, I mean, I, I have a really hard time seeing them run it back completely, but at the end of the day, I, I also think that, Canucks fans wouldn't feel great about them paying high prices to move money out. And I think like what you said, there are other teams that have been able to do it, but 
the other teams that have been able to do it don't seem to be in as dire of a cap situation as the Canucks. And I don't think that, I don't think there are teams, like I said, lining up to be like, oh yeah, the Canucks need to clear some money. So like, maybe we should take on Tyler Myers, right? Like, or maybe we should take on Tanner Pearson. I, I just think from everything that's been said, the prices that there have been rumored to be out there, the Canucks haven't been willing to pay. Like they don't have a lot of, like they have, they don't have assets. Like well, they don't have young assets to move out uh, some of these contracts. Right? And that's the thing. And so, so the faction of fans out there who say like, Oh, like it's time. And I think you actually even said this on Twitter at one point point. you're like, Oh, it's time to stop talking about banning or whatever. But the reality is, is that his fingerprints are all over this team and it will be for a while yet. And this is the reason why Rutherford's probably really struggling. He didn't realize, or maybe he didn't realize that, you know, the contracts that Benning signed on this team are so bad that they're borderline immovable. And other teams are going to say, well, if you want us to take on Tyler Myers, you need to give us a premium asset, second round pick, first round pick. And because first round and second round picks have been basically like, away. like the Canucks don't have those, right? You see other teams who are trading away their shitty contracts or not even shitty contracts. Like you see like a Pacioretty or whatever, but they have those picks available or at least feel like their team is at a position in which it's more valuable for them to give up a premium asset in order to gain some cap space and some flexibility. And that's not the case with Vancouver. Right? We can't afford to be giving away a second round pick. We haven't had a, this was our first year. We had a first round pick in three years. Yep, so absolutely. I get it. I get it in that sense. But what, what gets me going then is don't come out publicly and say what you got to do. And then if you don't accomplish it, talk about like when he was on Dolly and, and Donnie or whatever the other day. Yeah. And he's like, where's this frustration? Where's this impatience coming from? Well, not only has it been eight years of, of a mismanaged franchise that we were hoping to, you know, finally get some change from, but you didn't accomplish any of the things that you've said publicly. So when you say those things publicly and you say, Hey, we've identified that this is what we got to do and that's our plan and we're going to do it. We've spent all this money and put together this huge team of management in order to accomplish these goals and then don't accomplish any of them. The fan base is going to be pissed off and rightfully so. So yeah. I, it, it rubbed me a bit of a bit of the wrong way when Rutherford was on there saying like, where's this impatience coming from? Blah, blah, blah. Dude, you told us a vision and that vision hasn't been accomplished. And I know there's a, there's a long time here. They've only had a short, short period of time on the job. But this team isn't rebuilding. If it was rebuilding, we would have the patience because we've been asking for a rebuild for a long time. Right. This is a team evidently this is a team trying to retool. This right. is a team trying to retool. You're not signing Kuzmenko and Mikheyev and Lazar and all these guys because you want to uh, not Blow make it the up. playoffs. <laughs> right, and fi- right. You know? Um, so it's just... Like Benning was an awful communicator and for different reasons. But the fact that Rutherford comes in and says all these things and then isn't accomplishing anything and then kind of gets goes on the defensive when questioned about it, like, give me a break, man. You're not you're not you're not you're not doing yourself any favors or making any friends in the market here. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that 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 interview had a lot there. Um I think the one thing that goes along with his response was that the, the tone I got from it was that it's not fair for the burden of 50 years and eight years of mismanagement and just being literally awful. And, and not, honestly, not even, not even a bad hockey team, but like kind of a joke of an organization for the last better part of a decade. I, I, I think he kind of took issue with that kind of laying at his feet. And I yeah, think that's well, the tone I got, but, but I do think, I don't think it was like that smart or fair of a thing for Donnie to say, Oh, you know, no Stanley cup in 50 years. Well, that's not on Rutherford, of course. Right. But, but, he, I, but, but I do what, agree what he should you. have, what he should have said was, yeah, you came out and said all these things publicly that you are wanting to accomplish and none of it's been done. And this is a team who, then you can say, this is a team who has been around for 50 years, never won a Stanley cup has been mismanaged and it was only made the playoffs once in the last seven years. Like, you know what I mean? Then you can kind of preface that, but 
Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think I think there. I mean, was there probably, and and I think a part of it was Donnie was kind of like he was laughing when he said it. So maybe he was kind of maybe he said it in more joking than serious. And then I, you know, whatever. But yeah, I mean, I look, they're going to be judged on what they do, right? And at the end of the day, they haven't done a whole lot yet. Um, they've done a few things. I like most of what they've done so far, but the bigger thing, it, the, the concerns I have are more with what they haven't done. And I think that's, you know, probably shared by most, most Canucks fans who are, who are concerned. Right. And I think that, um, you know, the, the other thing is like, I, I want to clarify, like, I, I don't have an issue with people talking about, about Jim Benning, because I think that, I think that there's no way to not talk about that. Like, because, like you said, like the, the decisions he made and, and the signings and the trades and just the complete gutting of, you know, the future of the Canucks organization to go all in on a team that that isn't good for like eight years. I mean, I don't think how I, I don't think you can not talk about that. I think where I was coming from is more just, you know, any time what I see is any time um, this management group makes a decision that or or doesn't do something. I see a lot of, oh, this is just like the last regime. This is just, And I'm sort of like, it's kind of the opposite of the last regime. Because to be honest, the way I see it is, like, what we saw was that Jim Benning was willi- willing to mortgage any futures, first round picks, second round picks, prospects, doesn't matter what it was, to go all in with any roster. That's That's what we saw, right? And I think that what we actually have seen from Rutherford and Alvin is, yeah, they said they were going to do all these things. And I agree, they have a lot of work to do and they need to do at least some of these things before the offseason ends. But I like the fact that they're not completely desperate to do all these things. They're not saying, hey, you know what? We're getting carved in the media. Like we're getting absolutely snowed under because we said we were going to move cap space. Forget it. We just, we just, we, we got to move cap space. So just attach a second round pick to, to Tyler Myers and just get, just get rid of it. Right. Maybe that is the right thing to do. I don't know. I'm maybe some people would, maybe some people wouldn't, but I actually like that, that they're willing to kind of be patient despite all of the heat that they're taking right now. And I'm not saying the heat is warranted, but they're taking a lot of heat, but they're still not letting that dictate and pay maybe prices that they're not comfortable with paying. Um, and it go, and it's, I think you can say the same thing about the JT Miller situation, right? Like, you know, they clearly have not been thrilled with whatever has been offered to them. And I mean, I know that there's a lot of it. Like, look, I get the anxiety because I think most people are fearful of what, what happened in Calgary with Gaudreau, right? Like you end up losing a premium asset for literally nothing. And I think that kind of, and what been we've through. dealt with before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. So I, I get it. And I'm look, I've been, I've been there with you all, all through the, the, the heartache of being a fucking Canucks fan. And I get it. Right. But like, um anyways yeah my my point is that i'm just i'm happy that they haven't caved and just made a move for the sake of making a move or or overpaid because the thing is if you're the if you're the kings if you're the wild if you're you know some of these teams that have either have a deep prospect pool or have or have you know stockpiled picks and you have the assets to make these moves it's fine trading a first round pick doesn't matter as much right but the canucks have just been completely gutted of any futures that they just don't have the, the the luxury to to do those things right now. I think the way, you know, we talked about how Jim Benning was so not creative. And then hopefully that you get this management team together to be creative. So you find ways, right? <clears throat> One thing that's bothered me is it's so obvious that this defense needs work, especially that right side, right? And then you see guys like Libushkin, Colin Miller, sign for really fair deals like really good good probably under market value deals right you see guys like john marino getting traded you see you know it's not like there's been always so much talk oh right-handed d-man are at a premium well it's it looks to me like this management missed the boat on those things if i'm talking to libushkin's agent and this is before they signed mikhaev and Libushkin's like, look, we got this, uh, and I, I don't know exactly what it is offhand, but I think it was a two-year, 2.75 deal for Libushkin, maybe three-year. Um, I say, well, you know, we're willing to, to go that extra year, or we're willing to go two years and go 2.9, you know? Like, let's find a way. And 
I just, I just feel like it's, it's, it's been missed opportunity after missed opportunity. And then that way you've upgraded your defense. Sure. You might not be able to get McKayev anymore, but McKayev's <clears> not <throat> the difference maker on this roster. The difference maker is going to be these right-hand D men who can come in, play big minutes, help Quinn, help Quinn, like find Quinn, that partner. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that there's too many people giving this new management group a pass saying, oh, well, it's still early. Well, they missed out on the trade deadline, the draft, and really free agency. So they're 0 for 3 in my eyes. Sure, I do think that it's they're more capable and going to be better than Benning was. But at the same time, what are you doing to make, make us become a contender in the next couple of years? To me... It, 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 it hasn't happened yet, so. No, no, and I, I, I agree. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I think in terms of not enough happening, I mean, I think we're on the same page on that, right? I think, like, no one, no one can really argue that the Canucks have done everything they wanted to do or even 50% of what they wanted to do, right? I mean, you know, the, the Devils basically added an additional 3.5 in salary by making that that Marino deal. So, so you do wonder, right? So you, you wonder, like, you know, would it have, would you have been better off Would this Canucks team have been better off spending the money they spent on Mikheyev and bringing in, you know, John Marino. But once they made the decision to go with Mikheyev, you're kind of like, well, we're pot committed. Like we can't, we can't take on three and a half million salary. Um, I mean, and the, the, the Penguins were able to shed 3.5 by doing that. Right. So clearly the Penguins were not in any, like they don't want to take on more money. So the whole, probably the reason they made that trade was the glut of defensemen and trying to create room. So, you know, the, the Canucks kind of put themselves in a bit of a position where they kind of have to make some of the hardest trades possible, which are pure hockey trades. And those are really hard to make, right? Like, especially if you're, especially if your, your area of strength is middle six wingers. Yeah. And you're looking for D men. D men are way more, way more like valuable than a middle six winger. Yeah. Dude, the Canucks now like the Canucks are, how are the Canucks going to get fair value on say you're, say you're looking to trade Garland and I'll, I'll call Garland a top six for it. I think he's a a second line forward in the NHL. Right. So what, what kind of a return one for one would Garland get? There was lots of speculation that could be Garland for Marino. Right. And to me, that's an absolute home run for Vancouver, but who knows? I don't know if there was talks about that or not, but obviously, you know, I, I could see Pittsburgh saying, nah, you know, for Garland, if you want Garland for Marino, you got to throw in a sweetener, whether that be a pick, a prospect, whatever. Um, so I, I just. Well, I, well, the thing is, if you, if you look at the deal that they took, the end result was they saved three and a half million on the cap, right? So if you move Marino for Garland, they would have actually have been they would have been adding 600k so i don't even think they they would have cuz what's garland at five just around five right just so under i think five. or just under five right so i think the i think the type of deal the penguins were looking for based on the deal they accepted was like probably just a different like i, I think what they wanted clearly was to get younger on defense well um, i wouldn't say like, that because then they turned around and traded for jeff petrie Right, right. Well, I just, I, I, I mean, in this particular deal, right? To me, to me, it looks like a cap. It looks like cap savings. Like to me, what it looks, what it looks like, like is a GM with a vision and a GM who had already talked with Montreal about Petrie. Right? I think Absolutely. it was well yeah, known. Well known. Petrie was was available. Um, I think Petrie's a really good top four D man, and Pittsburgh was like, okay. Hey, we want Petrie, but we got to find a way to fit him a under the cap and b into our lineup because they have you know Latang, Marino, a bunch of D men, yeah, yeah, yeah and a bunch yeah. of right-handed D men. Um, so they found a way. They found a partner. They said, you know what, we want to upgrade. We we think Petrie is an upgrade over Marino, so we want to find a way to do that. So then they found a partner for Marino, found a way to shed some cap, um, and then found a team to take on Matheson, who had a really good year last year. But before that, was widely known as a pretty poor defenseman, right? So, right. Um, I think Pittsburgh absolutely knocked the shit out of the out of the park, and um, you know, you see other teams doing that kind of stuff. You see what Carolina's done, 
acquiring Burr. Like Carolina's a Stanley Cup contender who had millions in cap space. Like how how jealous. Oh, it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. I'm dude. so they, jealous. And they also have yeah. a great prospect system. Like that team is run well. And yeah. that's what you got to do. You got to find your, you got to draft well. You got to kind of realize when your window is. And then when you, when you're hitting that window, all of a sudden I have $16 million to add Brent Burns and Max Pacioretty while giving up basically fuck all. And now they're looking like a Absolutely. clear cut. Stanley Cup favorite, and they still have a bit of cap space left. It's yeah, it's, it's actually incredible. It's, so, it's, so it's wild. So to me, when I see other teams around the league doing it the right way, and the excuse for the fan base, the media, and the management here all the time is just like, "Oh, these things take time, and it's hard, and these these guys are at a, a position of premium, and uh, trading draft, acquiring draft picks is like getting gold." Well, other teams do it without with, with relative ease. So I agree with you. No more, no more excuses. But, start well, start putting well, some the shit excuses, together here. The excuses are one thing, but we also have to look at like you you brought up the Carolina Hurricanes, right? Um, when Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin took over the Canucks, they were not in the cap <clears> situation <throat> that the Carolina Hurricanes were in. Of course. Right? Not. So that's so yeah, so that's not that's not real. They're not a great comparable for the Canucks solely because they've literally ran is. their organization well. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh, I, I agree. I think that's, that's closer, definitely closer to what, the, you know, more, more similar to what the Canucks have been over the last little while. I mean, obviously Pittsburgh has made the playoffs a little bit more here than, than the Canucks. No, I just mean the their cap decade. situation. Like Pittsburgh, oh, was, oh, yeah, yeah. Pittsburgh was up against the cap and still find a way to make about what five, six moves, including some free agent signings. And they're they're about where they were before. They're they're right up against the cap, but they've tweaked their lineup to a point where they think that they are in it to win it. I agree with you, and and like I said, I mean, if if they run it back with this defense, uh, look, I've I've said on this podcast probably a hundred times, the most difficult thing the Canucks are going to have to do is rebuild the defense. Until they rebuild the defense, they're not going anywhere. You can have the deepest, greatest forward group, but honestly, like I just with this defense, which is like a bottom ten, bottom five, whatever group in the NHL. Like, I mean, sure, I know that people are going to point out the goals for and all this kind of stuff last year. I think a lot of that has to do with Thatcher Demko, um, no obviously, obviously. So, look, I've I've said that before. So, I I think I think doubling down or going all in with a defense, especially a top four the way they have it now, is is a mistake. Absolutely. So. Um, look like teams like right hand, right hand, young puck moving defensemen, top four defensemen, just like, like you said, they don't get traded very often. They are generally acquired through the draft. Like they just don't get moved by the time defensemen hit free agency. Like we've said this before, trying to build a defense through free agency is just like the worst possible way to do it. Like it's just so expensive. Look at how, like you brought up two examples of like Colin Miller and Labushkin, which were like good signings, like valuable value contracts. There were a bunch of questionable like overpays, as as there are all the time. Like you look at Good Branson and Columbus, who, which is kind of weird because Columbus has made some really good moves in the last little while, and whatever. But anyways, very like, weird deal. Yeah. yeah, like that was a weird deal, right? And and like and like it happens all the time, and that's why like you know trying to to build your defense or add significant pieces to your defense through free agency just doesn't work it it leaves you cap strapped it it creates problems down the road three four five years down and like you know one of the rumors that have one of the players that has been talked about is is john klingberg and i think that he's a good example of a guy that's probably going to get i think there's rumors of him debating a one-year deal in ottawa so or whatever but if he doesn't take if it's not a one-year deal it's he's probably looking for term he's probably looking for a six or seven year deal like, sure, you might love John Klingberg for the next three years. You're probably not going to like that in year four, five, six, and seven at what he's going to be paid. So he's just a premium example of like a guy who's looking to hit a home run contract. He's, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that happens in free agency all the time. So until the Canucks, like I, personally, I think it's unrealistic to believe that they can rebuild the defense in a very significant way. This offseason, I would like to see progress on it. I think a lot of fans would settle for meaningful progress, like moving out of Tyler Myers and maybe getting younger and 
whatever. Like, show me something, like something that moves the needle. In the, I don't think anyone is expecting like a complete overhaul of the defense. No. And now you have a defense of young studs. But I agree with. I, I know what you're saying. Well, show yeah. me something in, in that direction. And that's been some some of the arguments I've had with with other Canucks fans is that they're like, oh, you know, rebuilding a defense takes time. Oh, I know. I'm not saying like, oh, through this off season and this time that the eight months that that Rutherford and Alvin have been around that they should have it completely rebuild, but you got to start the process somewhere. Yeah. And, the, and they've had the three, the three biggest opportunities are trade deadline, NHL draft, free agency, and they haven't done anything. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And then secondly too, is like, it's just, yeah, uh, I'm not, you, you have this trade piece in JT Miller and to me it's so obvious that he's that he's got to be dealt and he's got to be dealt um in an appropriate amount of time we can't wait it out we can't let this wait out because there's too many variables especially with you know Canucks luck right like I could totally see a shattered kneecap or a oh, broken he, he pelvis block oh. blocks a shot in on opening night in Edmonton. Sammy Sallows yeah. is ball sack. Like yeah, there's, yeah. There's there's so many variables as to why this could go awry. Or people are saying so. Initially, when I was I was be, I, I, I was beating the drum of we need to trade him at the deadline. We need to trade him at the deadline. And then everyone says no. The draft is where you're going to get the biggest haul, right? Everyone told me that. Satir Shaw. Thomas Drance, hundreds of Canucks fans. Well, what happened at the draft? What happened? Nothing. We didn't get anything for him. Oh, and now, now apparently next deadline is when we're going to get the most for him now. Okay. Well, that makes little sense. There's, I've been saying this all along, talking about logic. Logically, you're going to get less for JT Miller from a team who's going to have him for three months than a team who would have him for 15 months, right? Secondly, as we talked about the potential injuries, maybe he comes back in. Maybe last year was a flash in the pan. He's, he's a 60 point player again. Then all of a sudden his value isn't at that 99 point player that he is, or, and this is a realistic possibility given this roster, given how well they played under Bruce Boudreaux, given how good our goaltender is, we're in a playoff spot or a playoff hunt come trade deadline time. And then much like last year, well, you know, we can't do that to the it's boys. It's not fair to the room or they're, yeah. they're, you know, our owner obviously wants playoff revenue, so we're we, we we can't we can't trade him out. And then he walks for nothing because as we've seen with Goudreau, like JT Miller from all things I've seen and read and body language and everything else, he's not a guy who wants to stay long-term in Vancouver, right? I think he wants to be down in the states. Um I think he was frustrated with the COVID protocols. I think he wants to be closer to home. I think he wants to get paid too. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, this is his, this is his last big money deal. Like he's going to cash in on that. So I see zero, I see, and I said this before, I think too, like I see zero chance there's any like discount uh, in, in AAV or term, like he's signing the max deal he can possibly get. And that's it. And I, and so I, I agree with you there. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I think with Miller, like the rumored deal that was on the table at last year's trade deadline, I mean, I'm sure we look, we don't know all the offers that were made. We don't, maybe there were other offers that were better than this, but what's the rumored deal that everybody's talking about now? It's a speculative. It's, 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 it's a speculative. It's deal, speculative right? by yeah. a member of the media whom, in my opinion, is not an insider. Right, right. He but, gets but fed, he gets fed information from management to try to. Uh, change the narrative publicly to what the management's thinking. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I wouldn't say it's like a silver bullet. This is what the deal was. But that's yeah. kind of my point is that, look, I don't know, but my, my entire messaging on this entire subject has been, I fully think bringing JT Miller back is a mistake. Like I, let me just preface this entire conversation with, you and I have said this a bunch of times on the podcast, like, uh, to me, a scenario where he's back in training camp is just like for all the reasons you said, like I, I, it's such a huge mistake for me. I, I just can't see um, anything good coming from that. So, you know, I, 
there's still time right now. I don't know what the offers were and no one knows what the offers were at any point in this entire thing. I think if they were offered Braden Schneider and a first round pick and whatever, like I would assume that they would probably take that. Um, it's sounding like those offers weren't there. So, I mean, look, I, it's frustrating. It's, it's frustrating that it hasn't happened yet. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I was convinced it was going to happen at the draft just, and, and who knows, maybe there's, truth to the Islander story or whatever happened there. Who knows whether it was Miller involved in that or it was Myers or somebody else. But um, yeah, I mean, they're in a difficult situation. Now, the one thing that I think we all need to kind of take a step back on or take a deep breath on is the messaging, right? Like every time Rutherford comes out and says, we'd like to keep him, I see like 70 tweets about, oh my God, look, they really want. And like, it's just they're they're not going to say anything else. They're literally not going to say anything else. They're not going to say, yeah, we're actively trying to move this player because we don't want them in training camp and we don't want the headache. Or like, yeah, we don't think we can re-sign them. So we need to move. They're just that's the one piece that I think everybody needs to just understand is like if Rutherford goes on national TV tomorrow and says we really love JT Miller as a player, he's a 99 point player, we want to keep him. He's literally saying it because he has like there's nothing else to say. Like, yeah. what did we what did we criticize Jim Benning about for so many times when he was here? Is just like the dumb, obvious, like, let me tell the world my plan and then try and go do that plan. And the plan fails because literally everybody knew what, what we're trying to do. So so that's the one piece that I think everybody needs to calm down on in terms of the pressure. Like, should it be this high because they haven't moved him? Absolutely. It's a Canadian hockey market. He's a 99 point player right now. They're probably like the, I would put the odds of them resigning him at less than what ten percent, five percent even. Like I, I like like in, ter- in terms of I'm in terms worried of them that being able to I'm do worried it. that it's much higher than that. Well, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't mean their willingness to do it. I, I'm saying like the odds. The of reality. It being, yeah. yeah, like it being possible, right? Like, like they've they've clearly struggled at moving out any meaningful cap space so far. With the Horvat extension come that that's been rumored, with Pedersen coming up in a couple of years, with you know, like I just I just don't see I I I mean, and like it's not like they have a glut of guys that other teams are going to be pining for, right? Like they've got like in an ideal world you move Ekman Larson. Okay, we don't live in an ideal world. No one else wants that contract. I would be like I just don't know how you move that, right? So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I think that they have to move him. I think that um, I think that they're in a very difficult, dicey game of chicken, and I'm very curious to see how it plays out. I do think that if the Canucks would have taken an offer of Hedl, something, some I know that's we're, that's not confirmed, but something along the lines of Hedl, Lundqvist, and a first, maybe you change the team, you change it to the Flyers, and you put in the same pieces. I just think that they would have got skewered by doing that i think a lot of i think a lot of canucks twitter would have blown and canucks fans would have blown up and said they undersold on him so i think that's also part of the reaction right but if from hindsight perspective right now given apparently what the market is for jt miller do you take do you take that deal now knowing that well maybe that's the best offer out there and the alternative is, so we either get, say we either get that offer or he walks for nothing or we re-sign him to way too much money for way too long. What's the best option of those three things? Oh, I mean, I th- if, if you can guarantee, if, if there was a guarantee that's the best offer, I think it's absolutely a no-brainer. The, the problem is, is, yeah, the problem is, is just the mystery box, right? Like what's... Sure what's what's coming to, but that's but that's what it is it's a mystery box there's zero guarantee right i wonder one thing i i wanted to get your thoughts on is i wonder if any of this is being potentially or partially held up or complicated by the nazim kadri situation and now that john now that um matthew kachuk seems and we'll get into the division a little bit here but um now that matthew kachuk seems to be a, another kind of big trade piece on the market and obviously th- that that's another risk that you take with holding on to a guy like JT Miller, right? Because you don't know who else is going to become available, right? Even there's been rumors of David Pasternak, right? Potentially wanting out of Boston, right? So w- what are your thoughts on just if, if, I mean, Kadri and Miller, I would say are rip- somewhat comparable guys, right? They're not way off from each other, right? Um, I don't think they're the exact type of player. I think Kadri plays with a little bit more edge and, 
maybe is better, obviously, but I think better defensively than, than Miller. But, you know, I, I think there's some comparables to be made there. Here, here's what I think. I think we've seen the narrative so many times of, oh, well, we got to wait till the Johnny Gaudreau situation pans out because the teams that missed out on Johnny Gaudreau then are going to call the Canucks about JT Miller. While Johnny Gaudreau, Gaudreau happens. Oh, New Jersey's, you know, they were they thought they were getting Gaudreau, so now they got this money. Oh, they signed Palat. Oh, well. Uh, and then I, I've said all along, I said at last year's trade deadline, JT Miller was the big shiny piece, and now he's just another another piece of broken glass like like now to chucks available so you think teams are going to be like teams who were maybe thinking about jt miller are probably going to be looking at matthew to chuck now too right so well, just the age, the age factor the better player better younger. player but yeah no i I, I agree with that i agree so with it's that. like the more you wait this out and every time someone says oh okay so um yeah, like I said, Goudreau's now gone to Columbus, so that means like Philly and New Jersey are going to want Miller now. Well, nothing's happened, so I take no um, benefit in being like, oh, well, as as teams are are putting their team together, there's going to be the last couple teams that that need that last piece, that last winger or centerman who JT Miller. Well, you know what? I just I've lost that. I've lost that like ambition. I've lost that hope. Um, I feel like the opportunities have passed. I feel like the best opportunities have passed. And if we end up trading JT Miller for a 2023rd first rounder, I think we got to do it. And that's less value than what we would have gotten for him previously. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the tricky part with me is I just don't, I just don't know. We obviously don't know what the offers were. And that's the, that's the thing, right? I mean, I think, I think there was a fair argument to be made of that his value would be highest that last year's trade deadline. I also thought that there was a fair argument to be made that his value would be the highest on, on the draft floor. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of kind of blockbuster deals happen at the draft floor. I think that, I think their thinking may have been that look like, rather than like three or four contenders uh, fighting over JT Miller at, at the trade deadline, um, you know, maybe we, maybe it gets opened up to eight teams or seven teams or 10 teams because yeah, now everybody's more, starting. But at, there's more players too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, you're, I think that's the risk you take is that there there's, you're always risking there being another guy on the block, right? Like that, that, Anytime you're holding an asset, doesn't matter whether it's a defenseman, a premium center, a winger, a goalie, like you're always risking that someone else is going to come along or someone else is going to ask out. Even Pierre-Luc Dubois, who, well, I guess that's a unique situation because he's literally bought at one team and in whatever. But like, there's just guys that are going to become available. Um, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what they do, man, because honestly, like, as more cap dollars get committed around the league too, I think it becomes... I mean, I think it becomes more challenging to move them. Am I going to write it off and say, like, there's no guarantee that they can get a young um, a young defenseman and a first-round pick and, and whatever? I mean, I'm not going to completely write it off. I, th- I think that, um, you know, there's still basically like a month and a half of offseason here to go. And I think that, um, especially with the cap situation and I think with, with the defense, I mean, look, I would be stunned. I would be very surprised if if there's not a single cha- more of a change. Like I would be pretty surprised by that. Now, if this was Jim Benning, I'd be like, you know, yeah, that would not surprise me, but I think just from what we've what what we know about what they they've said and the pressure that they're facing and the changes that need to be made and and they're like let's not be naive too. Like they want to put their stamp on this team. I don't think they I don't think they're happy with not putting their stamp on this roster, right? I mean, I think they want to do that. I think the issue is they haven't been happy with the prices. And I think that, you know, there are probably some deals they could have made to jettison salary or to, or even maybe some offers that they could have accepted for JT Miller that probably wouldn't have been a hit here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I think... I well well I think who cares I, what the fan base thinks really right well well no no but I do mean, what's I, best I, for the I, team 
I, and I, that, agree. That's, I agree. That's part of the problem of waiting, waiting it out, waiting it out. Well, now the Debrinkrat trade kind of sets the standard. Is a team going to give Vancouver more for JT Miller than what they what Debrinkrat got traded for? Probably not. Same thing with the Fiala trade. There was when the Fiala trade happened, there was a lot of speculation. Well, what does this mean for the JT Miller trade? And I was saying, well, I think it means Fiala is a better player and it has a brighter future that now teams are going to look and say, well, we're not going to give you more than what Minnesota got for Fiala. Right. And well, then they, this they, just got, keeps... they got a great price for, for Fiala for sure. Like the I think a, a favor and a first fair price. Yeah. 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 Like I would have, I would have taken that deal for for JT Miller. I think Brock Favor is going to be a good top four, right handed D man, potentially top pairing defenseman. Potentially, yeah. Anyways, I just think you know, there's there's a lot of talk about. Oh well, let's be patient here. Well, you know what? They, we we've been patient. We've had we've had three major opportunities to to start making some changes to the roster, and all we've done was add cap space, add to our strengths, and still have one of the worst defense in the league so yeah yeah um, no, i agree i that, i think we need to see I, I need to see the whole off season and then like i said if we're if we're still talking about the same defense and the same roster at that point is when i would start to say look you've had an entire off season and now we're in the same position i think what i'm saying is it's hard to judge any of the moves they've made or haven't made yet until i see the whole picture and that's kind of my that's just where i'm coming from but sure. anyways Let's let's move let's move on to to the division. Yeah. So just just briefly, like I mean, if you look at you look at what's happening within the division, like the Canucks could very well be a playoff team or a wild card team this year, right? Calgary obviously lost Johnny Goudreau, one of the top scorers in the league, for nothing. Now you don't really know what's happening with Tuchuk. It's sure leaning towards that he's not going to be a part of the Flames. Now, if you trade Tuchuk, you're going to get a good package back. So who knows what the Calgary lineup's going to look like? Um, at this moment, I would still have Calgary above the Canucks as far as probably, um, projected points, um, in the, in the Pacific division, we won't be able to say for sure, but until we see what happens with the Chuck and who they get back for him and how they plan on replacing Gaudreau's points, all that stuff. Um, then you look at Vegas, Vegas ultimately got worse, right? They, they lost, they essentially did their only move was essentially losing Pacioretty. So if you lose Pacioretty, you're automatically worse. Yeah. Yeah. They, they're in the whole different world of cap situations going on down in Vegas. And look, I I'm here for it. I love it. I think the Vegas golden, I think golden Knights fans have been spoiled since they came in the league. So anything that, uh, anything that makes the, the golden Knights uh, worse and go further into potentially being bad for maybe like a decade or something. I'm with that. But that's um, a Calgary... team. Sorry, Vegas. Yeah, no. That's a team who you'd have to say is on par or maybe a bit ahead of the Canucks. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I think, I think that, I think their blue line um, puts them ahead of the Canucks for me. I think that, um, you know, that's, that's the position the Canucks are in right now, man. It's just, they're so far behind every team on, on the, on, yeah. Like that's the real issue. Now, look, they've got, they've got Thatcher Demko, which you don't, it's not a strategy to just let your goalie try and win every game for you, but he does play on the team. So we can't ignore it. They do have that difference maker that, I mean, you know, Mark Sherman Calgary, I think is on par with Demko, you know, that's a you know, finalist or whatever. But so the one man, the interesting thing for me is like you said, Calgary, like, I don't know if there, and I know in Calgary this is probably being talked about, but I don't think there's enough being made over just what happened. Like, is it like to have two guys? Um, is it simply like Kachuk just is like, look, we just lost Gaudreau and we're probably not going to be a contender, and you know, whatever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make my way out. Or is it something? Is it Daryl Sutter? I've read a bunch of that. Is it like you know? Is, you know just his personality and his hey, like, he becomes a guy that's great for a short-term burst, but it's like, he's not a guy that you want to play for long-term man. I, so yeah, I, I agree. I think Calgary is going to be on par, if not better than the Canucks, um, you know, Edmonton with their 220 point players, I think. And now they got out- a legit goalie. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm less sold on Jack Campbell than a lot of guys. I I I mean, look, is he going to be better than Mike Smith? I, I don't think there's a question. Yeah, I don't think there's a question about that. Um, but is he uh, is he a top ten goaltender in the league? Like in in my book, consistently, I'd say no. But like, look, I, I think now they have they have they have league average goaltending or better. Yep, on a team that had really poor. I mean, you can't you you look at that their off season and basically that's their one move. They re-signed Kane. Um, they got who is it, Yanmark or something? And like he's yep, a pretty solid. Yep. Like he's a he's an upgrade to their top nine. I, I like I like them keeping Kulak. I think that was an underrated signing. I think good he's player. got yeah he's got very um, yeah he had a really good defensive year last good year. Good analytics. I like, yeah, I think the the Oilers ultimately they improved they right. Yeah, so the, yeah. the Oilers who were a uh, Western Conference finalist team improved. Okay, yeah, LA Kings, LA Kings improved, right? Fiala, I agree. I agree. What else? What else did they do? Um, well, that that's that's their big move. Yeah. Um, right, and and then you look at the Ducks. Who, you know, like, I think Ryan Strom. There's another you know depth ad there. I think it was Vetrano that you said, but. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I do agree with you, though. I think it's a very realistic possibility that the Canucks are in a playoff spot or in the hunt, like closer than they were last year when the trade deadline comes around. <laughs> and we'll leave the JT Miller conversation in the rearview mirror. But I this think that's why. But I think that's why the apprehension is obviously there. Right. And and I think that um, th- the one thing I'll say about the Canucks is like, I, will I be happy if they make no changes from now until the beginning of the season? No, absolutely not. However, do I think that with their forward group, they're going to be a fun team to watch? Like, do I think they're going to be at least entertaining with their forward group? I think that's a yes. Um, but I think that obviously, I mean, what we're looking for is to be good long-term and consistently, not just entertainment. But I do think that um, with, with their forward group, I think they should they should be able to compete in that way with any, any most other teams in the division, if not all, but yeah. defensively, they're going to be far behind. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah agreed. Yeah. Well, interesting to see what, what'll happen the rest of the way here in the off season. Um, you know, I think unless something major happens, there's not going to be a ton to talk about unless we want to just come on and have the same, the same episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, here's, here's the hoping that, that, that changes, are made because we both realize that for the betterment of this team, it does have to happen. Um, my man, hope you're doing well. Um, and yeah, always yeah likewise, man. Always a pleasure recording with you. And uh, yeah, we'll yeah. be back when there's some when there's some news. If there's some news, hopefully there's some news. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. All right, take care. Everybody.